Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us on a Friday morning. I'm going to be sharing another dream. And uh, I'm grateful today to once again have my friend uh, Cherie Goff with me. I appreciate her ministry within the Assemblies of God. And, and thankful that within her own movement, she, she, still, she, she still hangs out with me. <laughs> uh, not everybody you know, gets it. Uh, I belong to a Pentecostal fellowship that I'm grateful to be a part of. But I want it to be more Pentecostal. And I'm, I'm thankful in the last couple of weeks, uh, I have been hearing from other people who are having dreams. I know, Cherie, you hear all the time from people who are having dreams. Uh, and I'm just grateful that God is doing just exactly what his, just exactly what uh, his word says. In the last days, I'll pour my spirit on flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions and your old men will have dreams. And I'm thankful for those I'm talking to on a weekly basis. Uh, and Sheree, I'm hearing from people, I'm hearing from ladies who are in their 90s and they're having dreams for the first time in mm -hmm. their lives. Um, people whose grandkids, granddaughters and grandsons are having dreams about Jesus coming. And so it's just so neat to, to see. And so I appreciate, Sheree, you being a part of this. And uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to share the dream. And, uh, and then I'm going to let Sheree begin the talk. Uh, many of you know, a couple weeks ago, I had this I had this dream on Saturday, August the 26th. So it's been about three and a half, four weeks since I had it. And on Sunday morning, I began to say, hey, folks, if you are Native American or have background in American history, uh, I need to know about the yellow horse. And, and so, Cherie, just everybody's going to know what you're going to say about the yellow horse. So, <laughs> so no, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. But so let me just share the dream, folks, and then we'll go on from there. OK, in the dream, I saw a long western wooden fence about 100 yards long. that was right beside a hard dirt road, just flat dirt, no gravel, no rock, just hard dirt, brown, hard earth, hard earth. And standing along the fence from end to end for that 100 yards, were Native Americans. Now, the men standing on the front end of the fence were all dressed in traditional attire. Uh, so if you would have watched a Western from the 1800s or the late, you know, those years, you would have seen them in the Native dress and, 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 the, and the, the, the things on their chest and, and the, the hats. And, and, and the first man, the very first man in line appeared to be a Native chief uh, with, with the full regalia, okay? And as the men progressed down that line, they became more modern in appearance and in dress and were younger as well. So they kind of went from older to younger, but then they were still very respectably dressed. But you had the very first man was like the chief of an Indian tribe and very, you know, very majestic, very proud, very, uh, very, very professional in that sense. And there were probably 100 men in that line and they were all looking down at the front end of the fence in deep anticipation. So they're all looking back to where the to where the chief was standing. And across the area from the fence and across from all the Native American men that were there, there was this open platform that was about it was three tiers high and it was filled with men on all three levels. And they were all dressed in white Middle Eastern clothing. And I'm just going to say this the best way I can. I sense that they were all from Saudi Arabia. OK. So I'm not trying to stereotype, but they all had the, 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 like the, the chic type hats and the cloth and the, and the rope tied around and lot, what you would see when you look at people in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Very professional, very uh, traditional. And as I said, I sense they were all from Saudi Arabia. They were all in various huddled groups. They were talking quietly. They were looking at their phones. So looking at their phones and then talking and there, and one man in the middle tier and obviously the leader he motioned for all of them to sit down with his hands. He turned and just did this. And everybody from top 
middle, and bottom tier, they all sat down. They all complied at once, listening to this man. And then the native chief walked to the middle of the dirt road uh, between the fence and the platform. And the platform was literally just about, about 50 feet on the other side of the dirt road. Okay. So he held a medicine stick in his right hand and he faced down the road. Okay. He, he was just looking down the road towards where what you're about to hear came in. He lifted the stick into the air and then he struck the ground once and went back to his place on that fence line facing the platform as the first person in that line. And from down the road and coming towards that dirt road were men leading horses. Each handler walked a large and beautiful horse with a thin golden rope line tied to the horse that they were leading. Now, the men on all three tiers, when they saw these horses, they stood and they looked at each horse that was walking through. And it took some time as they were as they were coming through. But he was watching the, they're watching these horses very, very carefully. They had small binoculars and they're making notes and they were talking aggressively on their phones to people about the horses that they were seeing. OK. One by one, the handlers brought the horses to the middle of the hard dirt road and stopped. And when I say middle, I mean like right in the middle of that hundred yards, like halfway because they stopped and they turned and faced their horse. And they stood very firm and quiet. So they lead the horse. They stop. They turn around. They're still holding on the rope. They're looking at their horse. And so the men on the platform and the Native Americans are all watching what's happening here. Okay. So they turned and faced the horse. They stood very firm and quiet. Then after a few seconds, they turned and led the horses to the end of the fence line and then beyond. Now, I never saw, I never saw where the horses went once they passed that end of the fence line. But they walked majestically by those that were walking and watching. And when I say majestic, these horses were trained. They were polished. They were beautiful. They were they were just they were some of the best horses in the, that I can say I've ever seen in my life. These were like racehorse quality, but they were just very majestic, very pure. OK, during the dream, at least 100 horses were walked by the crowd of men on both sides. Yet everyone on both sides remained quiet while they walked. Now, the first 75 to 80 horses seemed very mature and very well trained. They were pristine in their discipline and their appearance. But after about the 80th horse, 75th, 80th horse, the following horses were unruly and they were kicking and they were trying to pull away from the handlers. And so these handlers, are, they're pulling, they're jerking, they're trying to maintain their, their composure and their integrity as a handler. But these, these horses were getting out of control. The handlers were struggling with controlling them. And I mean, really, really struggling. They were trying, they kept kicking up and bowing up on their, on their hind legs and kicking and just being forceful, being awful. And the ropes that I noticed on these other horses that were unruly, they were not the gold smooth ropes, but they were rough and thick. And the handlers with them had very thick gloves on that went all the way up to their elbows. I mean, these gloves were from the tip of their fingers all the way up to their elbows. And they were very rough, like, like leather, very, very thick. And a few of the more modern dressed Native Americans jumped the fence and they ran out to help the handlers. So basically, the Native Americans were like, these horses are out of control. we got to help the handlers. And so they went to help the handlers with the horses. Now, the handlers that had walked the horses off the field also came running back to help as well. So we had these these guys who had been you know in, 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 taking care of the horses earlier that were all nice and pristine. They come running back, and after several minutes of struggle, 
the last remaining horses were controlled and led off of the road. And the horses that were out of control, just from seeing what, from what I know and from seeing, they were small horses, they were all Mustangs, and they were bucking and kicking and just simply flat out plain wild horses. They were trying to run away, and a few got off the road. But they were subdued with a lot of strength. It was taking five or six different guys to grab that thick rope and try to get them back on the road. Okay. Once all the horses were corralled and off the road, quiet filled the air again. And the men on both sides of the horses were quiet. The Native American men were, were, were quiet. The ones I believe that were representing the Saudi Arabians were quiet. Finally, the chief who'd been watching. He'd been watching the last several moments with tears. Tears are streaming down his eyes. If you remember the commercial of the Native American man who was watching all the trash, the, the, the tears just tears were rolling down both of his eyes. His eyes were moist and wet. He, his eyes were full of tears. He folded his arms after that last wild horse was escorted through, and he walked to the middle of the dirt road, and he faced the men in the tears, those three-tiered platforms. And the leader... The leader in the middle tier was suddenly agitated, and he stood up and he said, I want to see the yellow horse. And the chief just stood there quietly and said nothing. He was, he was in a firm position. Uh, he, he didn't have one foot back. He was just firmly planted, looked at them, arms folded, basically didn't say a word. He just shrugged his shoulders, but he did it very aggressively like this. It was very firm, like I'm not moving. And the man in the middle tier began to huddle up with about 10 to 12 of those men. And they, they were upset. They're, they're yelling and they're, they're, they're making noise and pointing and all sorts of things. And, about, and finally, they're shaking their fists. They're exhibiting a very angry face. And the man then yells, we demand to see the yellow horse. And the chief stepped towards that platform. He walked from the middle of the road, off, the, the, off that hard dirt road, walked right up to about 25 feet away from the tier, from the, from the platform. And he looked up. He raised his medicine stick in the end of the air in his right hand, and he just, he just held it there. And he said firmly, you will not see the yellow horse until he is ready to run. I wrote this down and record. I, it was just it was just a one and done dream, which I don't have a lot of those. But I woke up and knew I got to write this down. I think a couple days later, I sent it to Sheree, and and uh, and just began to pray about it and uh, felt it was one I needed to share. So uh, Sheree, go right ahead. Okay, this dream this dream's different than the others in that it doesn't have the man at the end telling us what to think and do. Yeah. So because of that, it. It, it had to be interpreted differently. And I want, I kind of want people to see this, uh, the difference in interpretation, because it was, it was uh, a lot easier with the other dreams to just summarize and say, you know, this is the gist of it. And this is what the man says do. So just do that, you know? Um, but with most dreams, we have to break it down just like symbol by symbol. And it becomes a lot more uh, work. And so I want you to see that element of the symbolism and how it all ties together. Uh, because if it doesn't tie together, then it's not, you don't have a right interpretation. Me and Dana talked back and forth about this. And I asked him, I said, first thing I asked him is, what is the yellow horse? And, and he says, well, this is what I think the whole dream means. And I said, no, what's the yellow horse? We need to know what the yellow horse is because that's very significant and it's not seen. 
And um, and so I'll, I'll just give you a cliffhanger here. We'll talk about that at the end, okay? But um, so let me just go through the dream symbol by symbol. So he sees this uh, this long wooden fence and a hard dirt road. Hard dirt road is a difficult path. Um, standing alongside the fence from end to end are Native Americans. I believe this is the American uh, church or the spirit of the American church. Now, everything in this dream is symbolic, okay? we This is not saying anything for or against American Indians. This is not saying anything for or against Saudi Arabians. They are symbols that, that we're interpreting for a purpose and not by a prejudice, okay? Uh, so that's important to remember when interpreting a dream. Um, because my first thought when looking at this dream is like, uh, that, you know, the stick that he holds up, the medicine stick, that's not, that's not Christian. It's like, what do I do with this? Well, it's because it's not about that method. It's not about what the Indians use their stick for. It's about the symbolism. Okay. So the Native Americans represents the, the spirit of the American church. Uh, the men standing on the front of the end of the fence were all dressed in uh, traditional attire. And uh, the first man in line appeared to be a, a chief. And so I asked the Lord about that. And the Bible talks about the chief cornerstone that, that men rejected, you know, but uh, that's Christ. So that's Christ as the foundation of the church. And so that's, uh, and so he's at the beginning of the line. He's the beginning of the church, right? As men progressed down the line, they became more modern in appearance and dressed uh, younger as well. There are probably a hundred men in that line, all looking down the front end of the fence in deep anticipation. So these uh, represent the churches of, of America, so to speak, and, and in a progression of, of uh, time or progression of health of the church. Okay. Now, when you look at that number 100, it's this idea of a fullness of time. Okay. A fullness of the progression of time of the church in America. Because we've been a nation for longer than 100 years, right? The church has been alive in America longer than 100 years. Mm-hmm. So the number is symbolic for fullness uh, of something. Um, and uh, let's see. And so then the progression it goes is it goes from, from older men to younger men. So the progression shows... Uh, uh, it, it shows a change, a less mature church instead of a more mature church it starts off more mature becomes less mature uh okay so um across from them there are these three tiers with these uh men who look like they were from saudi arabia and um and so these represent principalities powers spiritual wickedness in high places um, three, the number three is, is a significant number. And so it's a confirmation of these things, um, uh, that are permitted to, to be over there and to be watching this. And, um, they are, uh, just a second, I have a scripture for that, but I'm not sure where it's at in here. Well, I'll get to it, but the Lord talks about, um, the church being on display 
for principalities and powers to see that. It's like he's, um, let me see if I have it here. Well, I'll come to it in a minute. But it's like he's, uh, he's showing off with the church. And so these people are those who are principalities. Uh, Saudi Arabia represents oil, um, but it's not, but it's black oil. And so black oil represents power, right? To, to the natural, natural power, worldly power. It represents spiritual, spiritually dark power because the, 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 uh, the oil that is spiritual is anointed oil. It's the Holy Spirit. So it's the opposite of that. So you have this worldly, natural, demonic power versus, um, you know, what's across the road, which is the American church. Okay. Uh, let's see. So the native chief, chief walks to the middle of the dirt road and faces the platform. He held a medicine stick. That medicine stick is the rod and the staff that comforts us, that talks about in the Psalms. That's authority. That's the authority that the chief has. The chief represents the Lord, represents Jesus. Uh, he lifts his stick into the air and he struck the ground once. And this begins the progression. So when 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 the Lord uh, sent the church to America, he struck that ground and says, we're claiming it for uh, for the Lord. And the church began to march forward. Um, OK. And so they're leading these horses uh, and it's handlers that are leading the horses. And I, I asked Dana and I said, were these handlers Indian also? Because he didn't tell me and I assumed that they were Indians. Uh, and he said, no, they were they were white. They were white people, kind of aged and, and weathered looking. Uh, and and then I asked him, I said, OK, this line, because he, he describes a thin gold line that's tied to the horses that are being led. And uh, and so I asked him, I said, well, well, as, as it progresses and as the horses get more wild, does that thin gold line change into a like a, a rough rope, a thicker, rougher rope? And he says, yeah, it was a woven rope that was thick. And that's very significant. Also, details and dreams are very specific. Um, I, I, I felt like that, that it would, the rope would change in my spirit. And so that's why I asked Dana is because when when you're interpreting a dream for somebody else and, and you know that they might not give you every detail, then if you feel something, you have to ask the person, is this how it went in the dream? And so he verified that, yeah, that's how it went. And so this, uh, this thin gold line is the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's gold, so it's refined, it's pure, it's, uh, it's heavenly. Uh, whereas that rough rope is uh, it's more worldly, uh, it's, it's rough, it's hard to handle. Um, he also told me that the handlers went from having no gloves in the beginning with the thin gold line uh, cord to having these big heavy gloves as the as the horses got more wilder. And so the handlers are pastors. These are the ones they're not riding the horses because pastors don't ride the church. They don't drive the church. If you think when you ride a horse, you kick them, you drive them, you force them, you 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 know you you crank them around to turn them. Um, that's how you handle a horse when you're controlling it. But, but pastors are called to lead the sheep, not to, not to drive them. 
And so these handlers are leading the sheep and they're doing their best to lead them. And they're doing a good job because the early horses are majestic horses. They're, they're well-trained, they're, they're elegant, they're big, and, um, and they're, they're so easy to handle, right? Because they're submissive, because they're prayerful, because they're full of the spirit of God, because this is the spirit of the church. The horse represents the spirit of the church, okay? And, but as it progresses, they, they get more, more, they start getting wild and, uh, and they start kicking and bucking and trying to run off. And so now the, the handlers, the pastors are trying to, con, you know, get a grip on this and trying to lead them forward. And they're having to wrangle and catch them and all this kind of stuff. And, and we see that in the American church, that that spirit of rebellion has entered into the church. And the church has become difficult for, for pastors to handle. We, we wonder why pastors are leaving the ministry and, and having moral failures and committing suicide and all this kind of stuff. It's because they're trying to chase. They've been commissioned by God. They don't have a choice to do this. If they're called by God, they, don't, they can't just say, well, I think I'll go be, become a banker. Um, because the parable of the talents tells us if you don't use the talent that God gave you, you go to hell, you know, they, and, and so they don't have an option, but yet they're having to wrangle these just wild horses and they become, uh, uh, the, the, uh, well, just a second. I've lost my spot in here. Um, Mustangs, they've become Mustangs, which are known as an American horse. That's a wild horse that runs wild, um, they're spirited. They're very spirited horses, uh, but it's not the spirit you want um, in the church. Okay. So these men on the tiers are looking through binoculars and they're taking notes and, and they're talking on phone and, and they're, they're wanting to see these. And that's the enemy is always watching. He's always watching. He's always making, uh, taking notes as to what the church is doing. Because the enemy has rights. We think that, well, you know, God has all authority, but the enemy has rights and he has rights because those rights have been uh, afforded him by the justice of God. And so when the enemy is all it, out, of, out of shape, and, or, or when not the enemy, when the church is all out of shape, the, the enemy begins to say, wait, I think I'll take some, I'll ask for my rights here. It's like when, when the devil went and asked to test Job, right? Um, he, was, he was given permission. Well, there's times when the enemy can go before the throne and say, this person's in sin. Release me to touch them. And sometimes when God wants somebody to, to come, come back, it's the mercy of the Lord to judge something before someone's dead. And so they'll be exposed or something like that'll happen. And that's because the enemy has called for them and God has said, go ahead. I've dealt with them over and over and over again and they're not repenting. Maybe if they come to the end of their self, they'll repent. And so this, this authority that the enemy has, he's calling out to it. Mm -hmm. um, okay, just a second. Okay, this is, this is the scripture I was trying to think of before. It's Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And it says, you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he paid for those, those sins 
and paid the legal demands, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, so he disarms the enemy and the authority that he has. And that's not the scripture I was trying to think about before, but, but God does, he puts him uh, to open shame, but the church is also what he's proud of. He, he wants, the Lord wants the enemy to see, look what I'm doing with, with my bride. It's pretty awesome. Uh, kind of almost as a, you know, take that devil kind of thing. So uh, let's see. So a hundred horses again walk down and, and in those 75 to 80 uh, horses walked by before the unruly ones came. Let me get to where I'm at in my notes. So other people come to try to help them wrangle the horses. This is, um, you know, this is the Lord trying to send help with it. It's, 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 you, you think about it, a lot of pastors, they'll be like, hey, we need to look at some of the old pastors and what things that they were preaching from years ago because we're doing the same things. And it's almost like they need reinforcements. It's like, I'm preaching this to you, but I realize that nobody around here is preaching the same thing. But let's go back to the word and let's go back to, uh, you know, these, um, you know, these old, these older preachers that we have record of their sermons to see, look, I'm not off. This has been a problem forever. And now I, I want to reiterate the truth. And so they're getting help. So then you have uh, towards the end of it, you have this, this man on, on the middle tier of, uh, of those that look like they're from Saudi Arabia. And they, they stand and they say, I want to see the yellow horse. So now they have the enemy proclaiming to the Lord, I want to see the yellow horse. And he does it three times. And the third time, it's not just a request, it's a demand. That means he has a right. He has a legal right to demand that. We demand to see the yellow horse. And so the enemy, and it says there's 10 or 12 of those men. The number 12 is a number of authority. So they're claiming some kind of authority because of the sins and the rebellion of the church. It gives the accused of the right. Um, and so the, the, the chief then walks up in front of the platform. He holds his uh, medicine stick into the air in his right hand. And he says, you will not see the yellow horse until he is ready to run. And so this is the Lord taking his stick, which is authority, and he's holding it up to the principalities. He's holding up his hand to the air because they are up, you know, above. And, uh, and, and, he, and he makes a demand. You, will, you do not get to dictate the time frame. Okay, and then he says, you will not see the, the yellow horse until he's ready to run. In other words, this is, this is a prophetic event. And God releases this in his own timing. The enemy doesn't get to dictate it, um, but he will, uh, he will run. Now, these other horses were walked through with handlers, right? But this horse, it says uh, he's going he's gonna to run. And so this is a different horse. And so when I asked Dana, and he's like, you know, he didn't really know what the yellow horse was. And I didn't know what the yellow horse was until I began to realize I'm seeing it in, this, in my spirit. 
And, and it began to occur to me, I'm seeing it in my spirit and I keep ignoring it. <laughs> Just like I saw that the, that the, the thin gold cord had to change to something that was rougher and thicker. Um, I also saw th this, this other horse, um, in, in my book, for those of you who have my book, um, I talk about the unseen ending, um, that God will give us a dream and he won't necessarily show us the end. And so we have to ask him, what's the ending of that? What is it? And the ending of it is never, well, I hate you and I'm going to destroy you. And that's the end. <laughs> that's never right. the ending with God. Okay. He doesn't speak to us. So he can just uh, condemn us. There will come a time when he'll do that, but it's not while we're alive. It's going to be on the other side. Now he'll convict us, but he's not going to condemn us until we stand before him at that at that at that judgment. Uh, if we're not, you know, if our if we're not spotless, okay. Um, and so the ending ha can't be what looks like obvious. It looks like the next horse should just be like. A devil horse, like just totally wild, mean, biting people. I mean, if the progression holds true, then it should be a horrible little horse, you know, even smaller. Because you notice the horses go from bigger to smaller in the dream, even smaller, maybe deathly looking and 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 withered or whatever. Something's got to be wrong with this 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 pale this yellow horse. But what I saw in my spirit was a bigger horse than even the first horses. Not 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 hugely bigger, but but bigger, noticeably bigger. I saw a horse that was majestic and was strong and was powerful and was noble. And so this is the horse I saw in my spirit because and, and this was the scripture the Lord brought to me was uh, or the, the scripture context that the Lord brought to me was, you know, when when Jesus went to be crucified, they screamed out for him crucify him, crucify him. And, and that's this, the, the, the Middle Eastern people on the three-tier thing, they're like, we want to see it. We want to see this, what's coming next. But, the, uh, but what came next uh, looked like what the enemy wanted to see, the death of Christ. But it was actually the victory and the glory of the church and the beginning of the church. Because now, Jesus was going to overcome the enemy and he was going to stand at the right hand of the father and bring great victory to the church. And so the devil is calling out for something. The enemy's calling out for something that will look like the death of something, uh, but it will become the power and the strength of something. And the horse represents the church. So when persecution comes to the church, what you see is, a refining that happens. You see uh, a returning to purity and to the majesty and to a glorious state of the church. Uh, those who are in there just to cause trouble won't be in there anymore because the persecution uh, makes it not a place to be, right? And so, uh, but the persecution of the church does two things. It refines it mm -hmm. and it also spreads it. Because when persecution happens, people scatter, and now they start taking it out. Uh, we see that in the early church. So what looks like um, the enemy wants is actually going to be the refining of the church and the perfecting of it. And so when we see these days coming, right, 
when we see the persecution coming and the enemy calling for our heads, so to speak, uh, we we press into God. We press in in prayer. We press in in the Word, and uh, and we stand strong and we stand majestic, and we become something that's completely different. Uh, this this yellow horse, the the color yellow, it can be a reflection of gold, is in refined in the fire, right? Um, it can be. Uh, it's also uh, considered uh, by by some to be a giftings. Uh, but but mostly it's just I think just coming back to the nobleness um, of the Lord. And I'm looking to see if I had anything else. I think that's all I had. That's that's the yellow horse. That's what we're coming into. And people are often afraid of persecution, but and God makes a way. You know, He does He does miraculous things for His people in order to help them to stand in the midst of persecution. We see, you know, uh, those who, you know, we see the apostles thrown into prison and they start worshiping and praising the Lord in the midst of being in prison. And the angel comes and opens the gates. We need to learn how to praise the Lord for what's coming and praise him in the midst of things. We need to learn to trust in him. And, and whether we're like Stephen who stands there, and sees the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father as he's being stoned to death, or whether we're like those who get miraculously delivered. Either way, our reward is with the Lord, right? And it's glorious. Yes. Well, I appreciate the things that you saw as well, Cherie. And I want to make one, I want to make one point very specific. Um, I've got a son-in-law who married my oldest daughter, who is Navajo and Pima. Um, and so I've got a, you know, I've got a son-in-law who's Native American, and uh, I sent him a message right, right after I had the dream that morning. I was like, "Hey, I need, what does the Native American history among the Navajos? What, what does that mean about a, a yellow horse?" And 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 I asked him spe specifically about the medicine stick, and he made a statement to me. He said, "Well, in the Native American culture, the chief had the medicine stick, but when someone else wanted to talk, he would hand the medicine stick to them." Well, in this dream, the medicine stick stayed in the chief's hand. Almost, he was saying. Nobody's getting the last word but me. And, and so what, what you're sharing resonates with me because we're seeing a whole lot of persecution. Uh, and I've made a couple of statements to people. And I've talked with you in the last couple of weeks. There was a, I had a very, very hurtful situation that happened. I, and, and I think too, the dream was to help me understand something I was gonna face and deal with, which was some huge disappointment from some people that I thought were love Pentecost and love the Holy Spirit and, and all those things that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm preaching and teaching and trying to, push out there and boy was I disappointed but at the same time it helps me understand that we're living in a world right now where the church is going to face incredible opposition uh, we know there's Armenian genocide going on right now among the Christians there we know that Pakistan recently has gone through a whole lot of persecution among Christians and churches and uh, people were, were, were homes where Christians live so we're not going to get away from the persecution and we also know that, you know, Paul said that the apostasy will come. So we know that's coming. The love of many growing cold. And, and even because of the lawlessness, the love of many growing cold. So we know that many in the church are still going to turn away from the Lord. But we have got to be committed to standing on the word, walking in the spirit, preaching the truth, speaking the truth, and not being afraid or ashamed of what's going to come our way. Because that refiner's fire, and I've seen that comment, refiner's fire several times on here. 
we understand, folks, persecution is coming. Uh, matter of fact, from the first dreams I had, the whole theme was brace yourself, brace yourself, brace yourself for what? Brace yourself for the things that are coming. And so, as, as, as Sharia said, the, the dream's telling us, hey, there's tough times coming, but God's not done with the church. And, and I hear a whole lot of people say, well, you know, I'm just done. There are people who are done with the church, but God's not done with the church. And so we need to continue. We need to continue to, and someone just asked, what was the, the attitude of the, of the Saudi Arabians that were watching the horses? They were just, they were excited to see what was happening. Uh, they were excited to see that the, that the animals were getting out of control. But when the chief showed up and said, you'll only see it when he's ready to ride, he was basically saying, it doesn't matter what you see, what you hear, what you think. The church is still going to be here. Now, I believe in a rapture event. I believe the church will be raptured out before the tribulation, you know. And, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's what I believe, though, based on the word. But the point is, until Jesus comes, until we see his face, you and I have a job to do. You and I have the lost people to read. And there's lost people everywhere around us. And if, if we know we're getting close to those end times we talk about, and then we realize we've got we've got limited amount of time to take care of it. I was speaking to a gentleman uh, a couple months ago. He's in his late 80s. He was in the hospital. I've been asked to go see him and pray for him. And he, he's, he's been a been ministry for many, many years, and not within the symbols of God. He's been a pastor for 40, 50 years, gave his life in the ministry. And 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 I said, I said, brother, how you doing? And he said, I'm ready to see my Savior's face. A big smile broke out on his face. And this is the guy who'd gone through a whole lot. Matter of fact, he told me stories about how there were people in a small area here in Kentucky that he used to pastor. They would they would bring pigs at night and, and break in the door and leave the pigs in the church to, you know, to do all the pigs do. And, and so he'd come to church on Sunday morning with his people, and they'd have to run pigs out of the church and then clean up the mess. And they still had church. And so he had these incredible stories and that were so encouraging to me as a young pastor who's never had pigs let loose in my church, you know, but, but what I saw in him was he was saying, gone through a lot, going through a lot. Can't wait to see Jesus because it, it will be worth it all. And so that's why we have to really understand what's going on. We need to recognize, we, we need to recognize, we need to recognize that God wants to use us in the church world to make a difference. That's why we're here. That's why you and I are still here and still have breath to share the kingdom. We have preach and teach and disciple as many people as we can. And so and, uh, let me, ahead, let right me say, yeah, let me say this. I was asking the Lord just, I don't know why I didn't ask this like last night when I was praying, but I asked the Lord right before we got on, it's like, what is the message of this dream? And, and I, and, and the message that kind of, one of the messages that came to me is don't be the unruly church. Don't run off from the church. Don't make it hard on your pastor. Your pastor's not perfect, but um, but we can be a light in the church. There are those people who have left the church because they're like, the church is not good enough for me. And so I'm going to do my own thing. Well, why don't we stand inside the church? If you have that discernment that something's not mm -hmm. right, stand inside the church and pray and, and be a, 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 po a positive influence yes. within the church and help to support and encourage the pastor. I, I know uh, I have friends that I've seen them that, that it's like my pastor is so wrong in this area and I would encourage them. It's like, well, pray about it and, and go and talk to them about it in a kind, respectful way. Yes. And, and, and the pastor has changed because they were challenged in a way that they could uh, 
deal with that, that that someone was respectful and was kind to them. We don't need to be the unruly church. There's a reason that pastors are leaving ministry and, and you know, and doing all this kind of stuff. And it's because yeah. the church is so difficult to manage because everybody has their own mind, their own spirit. It's like we have this American idea of, you know, um, we need to buck the system and do things our own way because we're right and everybody else is wrong. We deserve our right and all this kind of stuff. And there's no submission. Yeah. And, and yeah. if we'll submit to God, even under an unrighteous leader, that's what David did. God will take care of things. God will exalt the righteous person who's sitting under the unrighteous, right? Obviously, if they're trying to kill you, you, you kind of need to move out. But go somewhere else because God, Jesus established the church. When we disdain the church, we disdain what Jesus is the cornerstone of. And we need to be a part of that body and, and be a blessing to that body. And that's, you know, look, being a pastor is, is a hard thing. Uh, I typically have my church anywhere between 65 and 70 hours every single week, plus the people I talk to online and pray with people. Uh, already this morning, I, I've spoken to people from four different states. Friday's the day I kind of set that aside. And praying with people's situations, difficulties. And then I've got people in my own church who are going through different things or having medical issues. And, and, and look, our phone rings off the hook. There's always knocks on our doors. Uh, I, I can tell you, I could probably count uh, that people don't understand how many times people have a need right when I'm sitting down to eat dinner with my wife or I meet her for lunch and my phone rings. And so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on. And we want to do everything that we that we possibly can to make a difference with the calling in our lives. But we're only human. We're, you know, we're human and we're limited by our amount of sleep and how we feel and the physical things. But the church, the church isn't perfect. And none of us in the church are perfect, but together we can help each other get stronger and gain gain ground and gain wisdom. You know, the occupy until he comes isn't just hold the ground. That that's we're supposed to, you know, the the the, the when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against this word, against the church. And so we need to be out there pressing and pushing back on those gates every single day to make a difference. And a lot of look. I've been hurt by leaders. I've been hurt by board members. I've been bit by sheep. I've been bit by other pastors. I, I, I've got plenty of scars. My wife and I could write a whole book on just how many times we've been hurt on a Sunday to Sunday basis. But you got to toughen up. And I, I understand there's people who really went through some hard things. But I'm going to say one other thing, and that is you can only heal where you've been hurt. I know folks, they'll, they'll walk away from a, from a, from a church and, and see those people out in public and just want to look. There are people who need to say, I'm sorry to you and to me, and they probably never will. And so I have to say, OK, Lord, I have to get through this, work through this, get over this and go on. But the point is, we're in the church in the last days. I believe that I believe that we will be the generation that sees Jesus come. Now, could I be wrong? Sure. But I'm going to live like it because I believe it. I literally believe I'm going to see Jesus come coming for me. And so because of that and the dream, the, the, the influence being on the fact that Things are getting wilder. We know that there's crazy stuff happening in the church. We know people are being hurt. And don't think that's going to stop either. As we get close to the end times, it's going to get worse. But you know what? We're supposed to go out and do the things that God's called us to do and make a difference. So, folks, stay fired up. Stay in the Word. Stay rooted in the ground within the body of Christ. And I'll, I'll highlight this again. Hebrews says, 
forsake not the assembly together of yourselves and all the more as we see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews was saying, look, when things really start to get down to those end times, it's going to get worse and you're going to need the body of Christ more than ever. So uh, then yeah. in the seven churches of Asia, he never told anybody to leave that church. Yeah. It, even in the church of Thyatira with Jezebel, who had a bed there that was trying to get everybody to fornicate with her, you know, as yeah. far as spir spiritual adultery, you That's know, she good. was teaching false things. What what the what the uh, what the angel told what the, what the Lord said was uh, just hold on hold yep. your ground don't compromise with her in other words don't agree with her lies yeah but if you hold your ground within that church he says I'll cause you to rule and reign over nations and so what he's saying is if you have the fortitude to stay when it's even that bad it says I will cause you to have great authority but if you run away you never get that authority yeah. And, you know, it, one of those churches, he said, you're, you're a synagogue of Satan. You don't get much worse declaring a church bad than that. And yet there it was. There it was. So, folks, stay focused. Stay in the word. Keep living right. And when, when, when you see people who get hurt, pray with them, encourage them, help them. Uh, do your best to get people together to, to, to say what needs to be. There's, there's something I do at every, at every funeral. I, I, I do. I say this. Uh, my dad had a massive heart attack on a Saturday morning. I've been up all night at a lock-in back in Indiana. Uh, a nurse that I knew from my church called and said, Pastor Dan, your dad just had a massive heart attack. You need to get here ASAP. So I, I took my son and my daughter, put them in my car, turned the hazard lights on, drove 90 miles an hour to get to a hospital about 13 miles away. And when I got there, my friend, my, the, the nurse was there and he said, Pastor Dan, I'm sorry, but your dad died about three minutes ago. And what I keep, what I would give to have that three minutes back, and I and I, I share that story to say, look, um, you don't you don't you're not guaranteed tomorrow to say what you need to say. You're not guaranteed tomorrow to get to that person that you've not witnessed to and you you've let go. So you may need to say I'm sorry. You may need to say I love you. You may need to say, man, you're the best kid in the world. You may just need to say I'm sorry I wasn't there, but don't wait. Don't waste time when you need to say something and get it said today. And don't waste the don't waste the time that we have right now. Uh, when we see that we see the signs of time, we see the things that are happening and going on in our world. Don't waste the time that you have and I have to share with share Jesus with somebody who's lost. And I believe this is once again like Sheree is telling the church to get ready, get ready, and stay focused and stay you know stay in the game. Uh, I don't care how hard it gets, how how difficult it gets. You stay in the game. You, you, you keep, I'm not saying play church. I'm saying stay in the game. Stay in the faith. Keep walking in, in, in obedience and, and letting him work with you. So let's just pray, okay? Lord, help the church to be the church. In, in today's world, we're seeing so many messes and so many, so many awful things. But yet, Lord, there are still people who are faithful in the church. There are still good churches and good pastors and good people. There are still communities that are being impacted by their churches. And although, Lord, we know there's, there's false teaching and doctrines and doctrines of demons and all sorts of crazy things out there, Lord, anoint and use the church for your glory. May we, may we be determined to be settled in our, in our faith, walking in obedience, trusting you, serving you, seeing your face, God. May we live, may we be rooted and grounded in the word, and may we be preaching and speaking the truth. Lord, I pray for an anointing on pastors like they've never seen or heard or felt or experienced before, God. And we can see the word go forth. I pray, Lord, because the fire in, if there's fire in the pulpit, it will melt the ice in the pews. It'll, 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 it'll stir people up. So, Lord, do that very thing. 
I pray you feel that this weekend coming up, fill our pulpits in America with the fire of God and a message for holiness and righteousness and repentance, God. So that we can be the church you've called us to be, no matter how bad the fire gets against us, no matter how hard the persecution comes. May we simply be settled and ready to say, yes, Lord, I will go and I will accomplish all you've called us to accomplish for you. And Lord, that's our prayer. Anoint and use the church today and tomorrow and the days that follow until you come, Lord. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you into the fire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cherie, thank you so much for being a part of this. I, I always appreciate, I always appreciate you have helped me understand the boundaries and the guard the, the guardrails and the things to put on. And you have helped me more in a in an area that I've, I've always had dreams, but never like the last three years. And you have helped me to you, you've helped me to stay on that road. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate you as a colleague, as a friend, uh, as a mentor in that in that sense. But also as a minister of the gospel, and uh, we'll be praying for you and your husband, Terry, and that God just continues to move on you there in Arkansas and does all those things you've been praying about. But thank you so much for joining me today and helping me with this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for trusting me. I've got a lot of reason to trust you. I appreciate that. And so, folks, thanks for watching. And once again, I want to say this. Um, I know it's easy to hear the dream and say, oh, well, this is what that means, folks. Uh, I've spent 32 hours praying about this dream. I know Cherie spent many hours praying about this dream. We don't just come on and say, well, I had a dream last night. Let's do it tomorrow. We don't do that. We do that for a reason. I want to pray about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to, you can go back and listen and follow along or whatever, but I do this so that you have a chance to pray about it too. And I, I, I'm sure there are things, I'm, I'm sure that there are things out there that you will, that you will see that I might not have seen and Shereen might not have seen. And I'm thankful for that because I'm finding that dreams have layers, layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And so I'm thankful for that. So um, thanks for being a part. Thanks for being a part of, of, of this and following and confidence in the dreams. And just pray God shows us what we need to do in light of them. And stay on the path, folks. Stay on the path and keep walking. So God bless, folks. And thanks for watching today. I really appreciate it.